0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Humanity First, uh, January 2022. And, uh, you know, I often think when I, when I think back to the beginning of this pandemic, the, I had a great deal of hope that we would be uh, post-COVID by this time. And, of course, we had a little bit of a surprise um, up the sleeves of, of the pandemic uh, with the new variant, which... Um, is on everybody's mind at the moment when I switch on the TV. Um, in fact, the other day my partner was just was watching the news in the evening and said, I cannot w- watch this anymore. It's the same. It's, you know, weather events and it's COVID. And and that's certainly what is going on at the moment with the new Omicron um, uh, st- uh, variant. And, you know, it's difficult not to talk about anything when you're having so many uh positives with our staff at the moment. We are in the middle of probably our greatest staffing uh, crisis in the whole pandemic at the moment. Um, And we have Chris Ryan along with us just to talk a little bit about, uh, about where we're at with that.
1: Yeah, and that's, I think, you know, one of the pressing questions that folks have out in the community and, you know, in the media is how are, you know, large organizations going to manage this time period where it Will likely not be government that shuts things down, but it 'll be businesses and schools and nonprofits that can 't fill um, you know, can 't fill out their staff because of folks getting sick. so what have you noticed in in that vein here at bamsey so far, and what do you do when you don 't have enough staffing
0: yeah it 's such a good uh, question, and I think it 's a question that everybody 's asking on the way into work this morning or was what was it here It was around about um Uh, 18 degrees, I think, when when I got up. And uh, the Boston School Department is really struggling because they can't get school bus drivers because they're positive and they can't fill vacancies. And they were saying, you're going to have to wait. And I'm thinking, kids waiting in 17, 18-degree weather, it's just not good. And we're... We're suffering in the same way. Um, I'm sure everybody knows that in our residential programs we have ratios that we have to keep to, and those ratios aren't just decided on a whim by the state. They're decided on the um, on the acuity uh, and the fragility of the people that we care for. So you can't go below ratio because that's a, that can be life threatening. So uh, it really is hands all hands on deck, Chris. In fact, I just got back from a safe individual care training uh, that we're encouraging all non-direct care people to do because we don't know what we're going to look like at the end of this month or next week, actually. Uh, over the last two weeks, we had 71 people test positive in the agency. And uh, family members, and we're coming back from the holidays. And if we've learned anything, there are super spreader events, which are holidays, especially in the winter when people have got together. And people are, you know, how much can people tolerate isolating anymore? Well, not that much, it, it turns out, uh, over the past two weeks. And we're suffering mm-hmm. with that at the moment. Uh, during this training, the phone was the trainer uh, the phone was going off every ten minutes because they had another call out, another call out so it just means begging, pleading with people to cover It also means consolidation of homes which we 've done we 've closed a couple of homes and we 've moved uh, staff around um, it 's always better not to move the uh, residents around. And move the staff around. Um, and you know, the good graces of people who are willing to move from one home to another is really important in this organization. We have to work as a team. And we have to do things outside our comfort level, and that might be for certain people in administrative functions uh, having to help out. We have to we have to consin- contingency plan here. What is the worst case scenario? Well, we have a mandate that is going on. That we have a de- a, 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 an end date of uh, January the thirty first. It's great. We're up around eighty two, eighty three percent, which is wonderful. But now we're having, you know, scores of people who are having to be away from work for at least five days, and the CDC may change that back to 10 days any day now. It uh, is—it's really, really hard, and we have to rely on people's goodwill to be able to cover our programs, and that's the most important thing at the moment. You know, in my view, one of the um, tragedies of this pandemic
1: has been the way that society has— in my view forgotten those who are doing you know the type of work you're discussing on the front lines whether it's uh icu uh emergency room nurses whether it's um our direct care staff here it seems that you know those that have been fighting this battle and even president trump called it a war against covid uh those folks have largely been forgotten and you know i'm curious as to why you why you think that is and how do you go about trying to You know, build people up from a mental perspective when they don't feel appreciated and they um, are continuing to be asked to do more and more.
0: It's really, really difficult. You know, and I was thinking about this the other day in terms of, you know, those poor healthcare workers in hospitals where people, anti-vaxxers are coming and protesting against them. And all they're doing is saving people's lives and oftentimes saving the lives of people who are not vaccinated. And I mean, at least people aren't, um, you know, uh, protesting outside of our homes. But yes, you're right. It is. We tend to rally around a crisis. Uh, and this is a human trait that we rally around a crisis and we want to give thanks to people who keep us going. But, you know, it, we soon forget, uh, evidently, that um, those folks are still doing that work um, and they're, they're the, they are the real heroes through this epidemic, uh, this pandemic. And I think Bamsey has really kept the pressure up to let people know that our staff are heroes and, um, did an interview yesterday with uh, NPR uh, and took time to say, remember, these people are the heroes of this particular battle, this war on COVID. These are the people that came to work every day. And I'm not bashing people who stayed at home because it was good to stay at home. But, but our direct care workers and our nursing staff and, and our clinical staff, they couldn't do that. And they had to, when we didn't know what COVID was doing, and what we did, it was killing people, they were still coming to work. And they still come to work now. Um, and, you know, they, they're, they're coming back from being positive. And we've just got to keep ringing that bell, Chris, and keep telling everybody who listen how wonderful these, uh, this workforce is and how resilient they are uh, and how willing they are, uh, you know, to, you know, put themselves on the line for, for the people that we serve.
1: Yeah, I mean, you look at um, you know the, the heroes of this pandemic, and that's the, they are them, and uh, to see them not treated like uh, heroes is largely um, you know, concerning and and problematic. I want to get your sense as to where things are in regard to you know, the healthcare system as a whole here in this community and uh, more broadly in. In Massachusetts right now, where we've heard, you know, concern about um, people being able to access hospitals for um, even life-threatening uh, type of surgeries and things of that nature because they're so at capacity. And you obviously have a, a good handle on that, given that, that BAMZ is a healthcare care provider. Um, so what is your sense as to where the system is at and how much more it
0: can take? It's a great question because, and and I think it's somewhat paradoxical, the answer, because I think we are in the middle of a very difficult and dangerous um, variant. Uh, But we have a great deal of people vaccinated and we know that 85% of the people, Uh, who are getting vaccinated people are not ending up in in eds but those people and some are there's absolutely no question about it but the vast majority of those people are unvaccinated and they are really putting a massive strain uh on the hospital system and the hospital system's not going to refuse those people because they're going to need to be on ventilators and they have very serious like life-threatening conditions Mm -hmm. um and this morning, I believe there was, oh, sorry, last night, there were six ICU beds in the entire state. So every time somebody moves out of one of those beds, there's a new person to go in. The strain on the system is one thing, the, st- the strain on the people doing the work is the thing that's breaking the back of the healthcare system at the moment. Um, we need to get as many people as we can vaccinated because that's the way out of this in terms of getting some kind of immunity to this. And who knows what the next strain is. But I worry deeply about that. I also worry, especially with our served who have um, medical conditions and they're very fragile, many of them, and they need the hospital services. You know, even if somebody taps their head um, a a little bit while changing sheets, we need to get them seen uh, for possible concussion. You know, our folks are not, um, don't have the resilience uh, physically that many other people do. So we need, and our partners are our hospitals in our communities, we need them uh, to keep people safe. Yeah, and I know we want to get to our our special guest here in a second, but
1: you know, as you think about, um, you know, possible contingency plans or, you know, what has been done, what hasn't been done, uh, you make a really good point about, um, you know, folks being able to access the emergency room and folks being able to access, you know, their surgeries, not just elective surgeries, but very often, you know, life-threatening surgeries that they can't get the staffing for and have been pushed out, um, whether it's heart surgeries or other things of that of that nature. So, um, what what in your view needs to be done at this point, where folks who are in the hospital as a result of COVID are very often there for a long time, mm-hmm. like four or five weeks, mm-hmm. and that's the problem is there's not a lot of turnover. So has the state has the country been you know prepared for this and having a, a a build out uh, where they can have um, people who have COVID go to other places? Is there just not enough staffing? Like why 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 are we in this this spot other than you know people haven't some people haven't gotten vaccinated there's a spread like did we not plan um is this where just kind of the way things are going to be how did we get here
0: well i think this is systemic issues that if if there is a crisis and if there is a pandemic and you know i i sometimes think about SARS. i think about n n1 H one H one N one. I'm sorry, that way around. Uh, I think about all of these warning signs that came along in this country that stressed our healthcare system. We don't have universal healthcare, and I'm not going to get into a political argument about the benefits of that. But we have—we don't really have a system. We have a number of different healthcare. Facilities, uh, both acute care and then long-term or post-acute care. Post-acute care in this country is terribly remunerated. The the rates you get for rehab are very low compared to acute care. So the ability to move people on to uh, post-acute rehab care is difficult because there's a staffing crisis there because of the low pay that people get. If you look at other countries, there is a real difference that more money is put into preventative care and post acute care and less into acute care. That's the opposite here. So when you start bunging up some of those acute care beds in the ICUs and the EDs and you can't get them out, that's when you get a problem when you have a a surge, which we're in at the moment. Now, you can't build a system to surge, but you should have the ability to, um, if you like, extend your beds and your services. And we did that quite well, I think, originally when, when we opened the uh, the um, field hospitals mm-hmm. in Worcester and at the convention center. Maybe we'll get to that again uh, if things get really bad. A final thing is you mentioned the, the
1: system of care. And one of the major concerns that we have are that nurses aren't getting paid to um, the level that they should. Is the system to blame for that and if we had a more balanced system? Uh, level of care and a healthcare system quote-unquote nurses would receive greater pay and you know those that do acute surgeries and um, focused uh, areas of specialty um, who are the who get the lion's share of funds it would be different or how does a country that has a you know a um, more of a healthcare system compare to us in regard to pay for nurses um, and other direct care staff
0: i think the answer that Lies in public health, Chris. I think uh, we spend twenty uh, percent of our gross domestic product on healthcare. So you'd think we'd be number one in the world, but we're thirty second in the world. Uh, and if you look at countries that have more of a, um, a single payer system, then they're not paying top dollar for um, orthopedic surgery. And if you meet, if you if you know the rates that people get for broken bones, it it is extraordinary compared to say a pediatrician. Uh, a, psychi- a psychiatrist or um, a family care doctor those people are at the bottom end of the pay scale and that's wrong if you ask me because everything about quality health care is about prevention Uh, And we need to shift towards a more prevention-oriented system, which involves putting money into the social determinants of health and that kind of stuff. And this country, I'm afraid, has never really done that. It's just relied on a very good emergency services system that fixes people when they've got really sick as opposed to preventing people from being that. And that system is very vulnerable to mass illness uh, that really we haven't seen for 100 years in this country. I'm going to give it back to uh, Peter now. who's going to introduce today's guest. Thanks, Chris. And now um, it's my pleasure to in, to welcome back to the program Beverly Williams. Hi, Beverly. How are you doing? Thank you. And everybody knows that uh, Beverly is uh, our executive vice president um, and for our behavioral health and community services. Um, and <clears throat> it's been. I think, you know, as we come into a new year, we're looking back at last year, and it's it's always good to take stock, I think, and look back and say, well, what did we learn? Um, Even though, uh, as we all know, this has been a really difficult year on top of 2020, and somebody reminded me the other day – Stop saying I can't wait for 2021 to to, to end because we did that with 2020 and, and we got more of it. And of course, we're moving into another period of intense um, COVID activity in terms of infections. And and so it's always useful to look back and say, well, what did we learn from last year and, and how, how have we grown? Because despite the fact that we've been in, in the middle of a pandemic, we have grown in this organization. And there is a great deal of... Um, optimism i think to look forward yes. to so maybe we'll start with a quick review of the last year as we move into a new one and and um and how's it been for for you and and, and you know the people in the programs mm-hmm.
2: you know um last year our fish our theme actually is a vision and voice for hope and i've actually seen it materialize in my team you know i want to play off a quote from dr martin luther king jr who said, only in the darkness can you see the stars. And indeed, in this sort of dark place of the pandemic and racial and social injustice, political unrest, I've seen the stars on my team. I've seen team members be stars and really do whatever they could to help families, help each other, support me, um, the agency, so it's it's been mighty. We've had examples of, you know, people coming from different countries and stuck and seeing the team pull together to try to hook them up to services, provide what we could. We've seen our reduction, harm reduction team really stand out. We've seen people bravely walk the streets of Brooklyn, mm-hmm. picking up needles. Mm-hmm. So there are just so many examples. We've had a mother who was homeless and living because she's living a a domestic violence situation and really show up and people take care of her that day and do all they could to Mm -hmm. place her. So the past has been just amazing. Just so much we've seen hope come alive.
0: Yeah, you know it's funny when you when I think about my mentors, um, I'm often reminded that when we're working in this work, it isn't easy, and you in some ways you have to be a, vo- a warrior for mm-hmm. for justice and making sure that. Um, people are taken care of and I know that your team has done that incredibly and you know when I think of the syringe exchange program for instance that we mm-hmm. would just that you mm-hmm. mentioned a minute ago we don't always do this work in a in an environment where everybody agrees with us do we um, but we but we stick to our principles and when I think of you know Jess Almader and uh, and Jesse Pack and, mm-hmm. and the work that they've mm-hmm. done uh, in in front of a hostile mm-hmm. audience mm-hmm. oftentimes mm-hmm. but knowing that you going to be on the right side of history, I think, is something that we hold on to in this kind of work.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, in the midst of the darkness, to be a light, it's not always popular. But people have really stepped out and in, in spite of. And, and you know, they are two of so many examples of the commitment and the risk sometimes that we take to all the staff who serve in the res- our homes, our mental health homes, we know the persons we serve, they, they, are, they have a difficult time mm-hmm. being told to mm-hmm. stay in mm-hmm. or you know distance or, and but there we are have employees who are willing each day to go in and be. Yeah. Live with them.
0: Yeah, especially those people who are going into people's homes. I know that we've been having this conversation about this delicate balance between making sure that our communities get what they want, but also keeping our staff safe. And, yes. you know, at a time when we're in the midst of the Omicron, I don't know when the end of that is, but it seems like we're pretty deep into it yes. now. Uh, I think we've learned a lot of lessons over the last two years We're you know, we're driving towards 100 percent of people who are going to be vaccinated and mm-hmm. boost. And I think we're up around 82, 83 percent now, um, which is good. Um, so we have learned some things, but we still have to be really careful with our with our workforce, don't we?
2: Yes, we do. We do. And, um, you know, we, we, it's about education, education and sometimes big. You know, please, <laughs> dear a We're not about begging here. <laughs> you know, so we, we really, and, you know, some staff, I was talking to a program director today who is really worried about two of his staff and, and really hoping they would make that choice. But it's, it's constant work. It's, you know, um, what I do appreciate is that the directors are really, they really care about the team Mm -hmm. of employees who Mm -hmm. work with them Mm -hmm. and they show it and the employees therefore are great with the person so yeah
0: yeah and i think let's talk about hope for a little bit because i know that that's a a big theme of us Mm -hmm. going um into the into the new year and i often think about harvey milk uh, and one of my favorite quotes is that you know you don't solve everything with hope, but you can serve, you, you can do nothing without it. And mm-hmm. I, I, still, I think over, over the years that I've been involved in in this field, truly believe that. And you've sort of taken that cudgel, haven't you, and gone to mm-hmm. your programs and say, "Well, let's talk about what hope means." So, talk about that a little
2: bit. Yeah, I, you know, it's. I'm so glad we chose that topic <laughs> of hope because, little did we know how much we need mm-hmm. it. It has, however, bonded us together you know, to, to really work this, you know, Desmond Tutu said hope is being able to see that there is light despite all of the darkness. Mm-hmm. And I've seen this happen and, and seeing it moving forward, I asked directors yesterday evening, so late yesterday evening, tell me, what does hope look like at your programs? And there are such beautiful examples, if I can do a, a couple. Yeah, please. You know, for our HIV programs, Hope is providing the best services they can despite all the challenges. You know, for our adult day treatment, it's building a community in our new normal. For the CSA, it's keeping a sense of humor, I like that, mm-hmm. you know, and trying to see the light through the darkness. For some, it's you being able to use telehealth, continue to use telehealth to reach others. For some, it's about health equity, making sure all families receive services. Now, nobody left behind. For PIN, it's advocating, continuing to advocate despite, you know, all the challenges, making sure that even with COVID, families are seen face-to-face as needed. Family receive quality services. And, you know, for others, it's it's just making sure they provide the resources, like WIC and um, Helpline, just wanted to make sure that they do well, you know, doing lunches. Mm-hmm. That's their aim. That's some of what they've done before, but they want to continue and making sure they break any barriers that would... Hinder that, mm-hmm. you know. One of my favorite is that of our senior center, you know. And if you would let me even read an example of him, if that'd be okay. Yeah, please. Um, yeah. At the center, what they found is that the persons served are looking out for each other mm-hmm. too. So it's about people just hope. It I think it extends itself. Mm-hmm. I give you hope, you give somebody mm-hmm. else mm-hmm. hope. And one example is of uh, an individual who's legally blind cleaning the glasses of another person um, because it seemed dirty to him. And both of them are blind. Mm -hmm. And do we know if the glasses are clean enough? But you know what? That's okay. That's hope. That's hope. That's
0: yeah, that is hope as community, and I think that's a really important piece of it. And, you know, of course, it's very timely that you quote Desmond Tutu, and, uh, and uh, you know, I'll link that to what you said before. Uh, he said rather famously, you know, I want the full menu of human rights if I'm at this table. Yes. Um, and when we think about the work that we do, especially the work that your your group does, there is a social justice piece to that. Mm-hmm. Um there's a social justice piece to the work that we do, uh, mm-hmm. and that runs a very deep vein yes. through all of the work we do, doesn't it? And yes. and I think that no one gets le- left behind thing is is an incredibly important piece of this. We live, <coughs> we we work in a community where um, there isn't equality, mm-hmm. and that strive for equality, I mm-hmm. think, is is another um, is another thing that sort of runs on the on the fuel of hope.
2: Yes. Yeah. Yes. You know, and what touches me is with other programs it's not just hope for individuals serve hope it's hope for each other, you know, hope that we stay together, um, that we are healthy together hope um one person said is making sure that our peers stay healthy, you know um and there's so much need for that now, in the midst of particularly racial injustices mm-hmm. and challenges and political it's so easy it's so easy for us to divide. Mm-hmm. It's so easy for us to become distrustful, so easy for us to um distance ourselves and it's that call back to hope. Let's yeah. let's if we can have. It feels like a common ground for us right now. Yeah.
0: I mean, I when uh, when I think about the division in this country and division on the left and division on the right, Um, I I often think that as we work in our communities, we're we're always pulling to the center ground. We're Mm -hmm. always looking for a place where we can um, bring people together. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, when I think about it, Dawn Davis is a really good example of... What is wrong in many ways with our country That you know, our elders are not taken care of and in, and in many other countries There's a very different approach to, to elders and, mm-hmm. and the wisdom that they have We seem to miss mm-hmm. that uh, yeah. Especially yeah. in uh, communities that struggle economically um, And the idea of building community In the, in the, in the Dawn Davis program mm-hmm. is, is the life blood of that program That, I, that quote there is one of the Because I always think of um, you know Murtry he was the um the the certain general at the moment mm-hmm. and under Obama, he mm-hmm. said the thing that kills the elderly most is loneliness and isolation yes. to build that kind of community that kind of connection is the, actually literally keeps people alive
2: Yes, I agree with you, and you know yesterday, as we looked, we began quickly pulling together plans for how we're gonna January month, the month of January, with so many people testing positive, both employees and individuals served, Uh, to see today the responses of directors in how they really tried to balance safety of employees with safety of individuals served, with the the betterment for the agency, their programs, that gave me hope. Mm Mm-hmm. It's such. It's so hopeful, and it's yeah. it speaks to the heart of the team and the commitment. Yes,
0: because you know it's funny. Um, one of our nurses, who you know very well, yesterday <laughs> when we were talking before the meeting was saying how her daughter, who I think is a college age mm-hmm. um, nurse, said, "Look, you know you can't go out to these parties at." Uh, You know, in the holidays, and the daughter said, I've had enough. I'm not going. I'm going out. And Mm -hmm. a lot of people have done that. And we're in the midst of that now, I think, just, you know, post-holiday. And, you know, the first thought is I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I can't go through this again. Mm -hmm. But I think the commitment of the the workforce and the leadership of the organization is to, well, we have to. Mm -hmm. Uh, What options do we have? Um, and we did meet yesterday, didn't we? And we talked a little yes. bit about how we go forward. Yes. And your team has responded amazingly. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are programs that can do their work remotely. And there are programs that, that right. can't. And there are people that can do remote yes. work. And there are people that can't. And it's a question of balancing safety and the ability of our staff to do mm-hmm. their job with, with mm-hmm. the people in the community. And it's, it's a difficult Sure, because we we know a little more than we did a year and a half ago. But these variants, as they come along, we have to relearn. Right,
2: um. right. It's and and what I've seen with the team, it's the resilience. There is a way. They believe. They truly believe. They truly working towards helping and making a difference in the lives of individual selves and mm-hmm. even themselves. Mm-hmm. You know it makes me think that you know we we've, we've been through so through many um obstacles the past couple of years but you know bernard williams he said this is a, and i'm not doing a quote because i know i'm going to mess up <laughs> his quote is that he said there's no way at all that darkness will defeat you know light or defeat hope you know and if we indeed Strive and hold on to that, and and I really do believe. I see it. I see, you know. I I think I would have said hope the last two years Uh, very casually. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have a concept of hope, but I've seen it. Live yeah. this past
0: year, yeah, and I think our staff oftentimes are the the sort of carriers of hope, aren't they? They're yeah. the people yeah. who visit and and sort of reinvigorate people who are you know yeah. are in difficult circumstances. Yeah. I think about the work we do with people in long term recovery, you know, and those people mm-hmm. who uh, you know I, I I think about the um, about Cope oftentimes, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, that's a program that works with people. Yes. You know, with HIV and AIDS, and, yes. and and we have staff who have who are living examples Accidently. of surviving w- with HIV. Yeah. Which, if you look back, and for some of us, to remembering, you know, when the AIDS epidemic came along, mm-hmm. we knew nothing. But now we have people who are surviving that yes. and who are telling their stories and giving people hope, and it's, right. it's an amazing thing.
2: Right, and all of our, you know, our parent partners and family mm. partners. People who, so staff with lived experience, mm-hmm. who, so from PIN to CSA and those programs where they've done the journey or doing the journey and looking back and pulling others forward. And that, to me, that's giving others hope yeah. that, you know, it's, it's possible.
0: Yeah, and I do think, and, you know, I get questions about this sometimes, but um, I believe that the lived experience component in the yes. treatment paradigm is uh, equally as important as the clinical because if you can see somebody in your in your moment of greatest despair if you can see somebody who can say yeah check that i was there and look look at me now and 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 it it is often the case isn't it that people's own path of recovery is enhanced by giving back is enhanced by giving people hope and and saying this is a journey i've traveled on that i had hope from before and you and i i I can help you on the way
2: absolutely absolutely that's There's the power. There's nothing that can touch the power of a mentor or a person with lived experience, whether it's a family partner or a peer. Um, Clinicians, we add to. Um, But one of the gems is having somebody who could connect with a family on the sense of been there, done that, or doing that. There is... A light at the end of this tunnel. Right. That has, we ha- at Bamsi, we've learned the power and importance of those two roles.
0: Yes. Yeah, and I think it takes a very special person to do this kind of work. Yes, and I'm always. Um, At orientation every week, we always have a number of people who come back to Bamsi, And we had somebody recently who said, well, you know, I sort of had to leave. And many people have had to go and look after their families, look after loved ones. Um, But I missed that connectivity Mm -hmm. and I missed... I miss the camaraderie of working towards something that is greater than myself. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that's a a real selling point for us at this organization. For anybody that that has had that experience, you don't forget it in a hurry. Mm -hmm. Mm
2: -hmm. You're right.
0: You're right. So, well, Bev, thank you so much, and hopefully and <laughs> we'll come back in uh, maybe three months' time and we'll see how hope is being kept alive and, 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 and the next phase of this journey for us. And yes. I know we spend a lot of time saying um, post-COVID, but let's just say we're dealing with COVID and we're managing it and we're moving forward. Yes,
2: yeah, we believe. Yeah, we believe. <laughs>
0: thank you so much, You're Bev. Welcome.